Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy, and today we have an amazing guest on our show as always. He is a Warden Business School graduate who has shared the stage with Martha Stewart, Dr. Oz, Suzanne Summers, Caitlyn Jenner, Ice-T, and five presidents of the United States at Harvard, Cambridge, Oxford, London Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, Mercedes, Porsche, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, the Royal Society of Medicine, AT&T, and Carnegie Hall. He lives in New York, Los Angeles, and Acapulco with his wife, Allie, and Nova, their billionaire peso puppy. Welcome to the show, Clint Arthur. How are you doing there? I'm good. Nova is the billion peso puppy. See the alliteration there? The billion peso puppy. Because I, I spent it. a billion pesos healing that dog. She <laughs> broke a tendon and we had to have an operation. Oh, and then no. her, she got an allergic reaction to the sutures and her all the skin fell off her leg. She looked like she had a pork chop instead of a leg. Wow. And um, now she's almost recuperated. It's been a year and nine months that she's been, been in recuperation from that broken tendon. Poor thing. Jeez. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It's just amazing how <laughs> dogs and animals just really feel the heartstrings and, and feel that. Hey, for you us. know, she's, she's worth it because, you know, I use her a lot in my marketing. And in fact, today I got a message from some woman on Facebook and, she, you know, I posted, you know, meeting Nova is just one of a million reasons why you should come to our mastermind in Acapulco. And the lady writes, why would I want to come to meet your dog at a mastermind? See, <laughs> that's what the lady writes. And uh, I'll, I'll read it exactly off my phone, off my Facebook, on my phone. Here it is. Nova, I wrote, Nova is looking great these days. Come meet her at Impact, Influence, and Income. And she writes, I'm so confused. Why would I come to meet your dog at a mastermind? And I write, <laughs> Well, a lot of people love her, and when you meet her, you'll understand why it will be a benefit to meet her. But also, this is an example of me using my dog for marketing. It's called dog marketing. This nice. is just one of many ways that you will learn how to attract interest and engage with prospects to get them interested in what you're doing exactly the way I have done here with you. Today is the final day for early enrollment <laughs> discounts for Impact, Influence, and Income Mastery, January 18 to 23 at our luxury villa in the top millionaire billionaire resort in Mexico. It's a wellness retreat, a luxury vacation, a world-class marketing seminar, and a high net worth mastermind rolled into one amazing week in the best luxury resort with the coolest people in the world. Click here to register, and there is the picture of Nova. See? Oh, nice. Yeah, there's <laughs> one good-looking dog there. Dog marketing. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. How does that compare <laughs> with uh, the photos of all these celebrities you've met then? <laughs> well, people love dogs. People yes. love dogs. And I learned dog marketing from my great mentor, Dan Kennedy. Dan okay, Kennedy yeah. Dan Kennedy always talks about his dog, the million-dollar dog. Uh, See? Yeah. <laughs> this, is where, this is where it comes from. Now, I didn't, I didn't call my dog the million-dollar dog. I called mine the billion-peso puppy. See? <laughs> I, it's, that's called swipe and deploy. That's one of the things that you should do is you should find a mentor who knows what they're doing. And then you swipe what they're doing and you deploy it. You don't take it exactly. 
you make your own version of it. That's called swipe and deploy. And I'm a master of swipe and deploy. I, you know what? I should, I should, I should like, I'm going to include a, a new section for impact, influence, and income on swipe and deploy secrets of the master. That's me. I'm going to do that. So seven, this is going to be seven your figure, seven figure swipe and deploy secrets. There you I go. I like it. This is going to be your 22nd uh, best-selling book then? Um, it will, yes. Impact, yes. Influence, and Income. I haven't, I haven't announced that I'm going to even release the book yet. I've written the book and I will release it. I need to work on it. I'm, I'm still focused on marketing this book, Wisdom of the Men. Yes. This, this is my life's work masterpiece. This is a truly phenomenal book. And this is the one where I talk about all the famous people and where I, where I explain how I went from taxi driver to working with international superstars and five presidents of the United States, revealing all my secrets so you can do it too. I'm still marketing that book very directly and heavily. Absolutely. Now it's also nominated for this, this so tiny award called the Pulitzer, correct? Yeah. Um, that was truly an amazing thing, how Absolutely. I got that to happen. Would you like to know how I got my book nominated for a Pulitzer Prize? Yes. I envisioned it. Okay. Okay. In 2019, I led my community on my annual planning event okay. around December like sometimes I do it earlier. Like I should be doing it in October. I'm going to do it in October. I At the end of the year, I do a planning event. It's what I call the CPR. It'll bring you back to life. It's But CPR stands for context, purpose, and results. Okay. And when you write out your results that you want to achieve for the year, it has an amazing way of helping you to actually get those results. Because it's funny how that works. Like when you write things down, they become more real quicker. And after I did this in 2019, I did it like December 2019, because we were becoming the new millennia, uh, a new decade, mm -hmm. I thought to myself, wow, I should make a list of things that I want to achieve for the whole decade. Because, you know, people overestimate what they can achieve in a year and they underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. Right. And one of the things I wrote down was I win. I want to win the Pulitzer Prize for literature. That's what I wrote. That's exactly what I wrote. I want to win the Pulitzer Prize for literature. Where did that come from? When I was a kid, I went to a specialized high school in New York City. And it was called Stuyvesant High School. It's all about math and science. But there was a special English teacher there. And yes. me being in the special ed division. No, I'm just joking. But he he was a special guy. Everybody loved Mr. McCourt because he would be very entertaining. He would tell stories about being poor, growing up impoverished in Ireland when he was a little kid with all his brothers. And he was very entertaining because he had the gift of storytelling like the Irish. But really, there is no – for Americans, there is no gift. Maybe the Irish have the gift. But personally, I think storytelling comes from repetition and exploration and work less than just having a gift from God. In any case, I took his creative writing, um, his creative writing English class as an elective for two solid years. And he was really inspirational. After that, I considered myself a writer. 
Wow. And then in 1990. Yeah. Yeah. Early. I mean, 16, 17 years old, I was writing in notebooks all the time, journals. I considered myself a writer. And then in 1997, he won the Pulitzer Prize for his memoir, Angela's Ashes, about his impoverished child in, in, in Ireland. And that made everybody who graduated from Stuyvesant High School who took his class, oh, well, you know, we, we took ourselves much more seriously as writers. And <laughs> that's where that idea of one day I want to win the Pulitzer Prize, that's where that came from. Now, the fascinating thing is that this book was nominated for memoir and autobiography, not literature. And okay. so what I've, what I've realized is that was not what I wrote down. What I wrote down was I want to win the Pulitzer Prize for Literature. That's why I'm going to write a novel in uh, December. I'm really excited. I'm going to go write a novel because you can't win the prize for literature if, unless you have a work of literature. And this is not. This is nonfiction. Now, how many double category winners are there in this, this field? Oh, wow. I don't know. That's probably, a great question. Probably very few, right? That's so a great you, question. You're really going for it, aren't you? Well, yeah, well, yeah. I'll, I'll be content to get one. How's that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, it's a But I will tell you this. I'm going to write it under a pen name as a um as a as a female. Okay. Cuz I think I'll have a better chance of winning because as a middle-aged white guy, that's how much chance I have of winning. <laughs> This much chance right there. Absolutely not, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, now you dive into this and in like the start of your book is how you were down and out and went to a men's group to, to basically kind of reinvent yourself to some mm -hmm. extent. Uh, just on that point, um, like what do you think is going on right now in society with men? Um, do you think men are kind of declining in their performance or their aspect or um, what, what's, what's the issue and problem with men? Well, first of all, I teach a lot of authors, speakers, coaches, consultants, advisors, experts, all different kinds of experts. Yes. About how to have more impact, influence, and income. And women far outnumber the men who show up at my events. Now, wow. I don't know why that is, but... That is just a fact. There's yes. more women than men who come to these events. And I think that men are downtrodden these days, especially middle-aged white men. Like I just said, I mean, look, I, there's another book I'm thinking about writing. It's called The Struggle is Real. Okay. It's going to have me in a suit and tie. You know, uh, here I am. The struggle is real. But it's true because nobody's interested in middle-aged white guys or what we have to say. If there's anybody else they could hire, they're gonna hire them. And we're the lowest ones on the totem pole. And that's just the way it is because there's all kinds of factors working here. I mean, in our recent meetings, we come from the metal men's group and I've heard three men talking about the issue of diversity in our group right. and how if given a choice, He's going to hire the Pakistani female every single time first. That's what he said. And, you know, it got, it got him fired off of a job because he wasn't putting the best candidates in. He was working on this diversity agenda. And there's a lot of that going on in our society right now. And it makes it, it, makes it tough for men because men are second to women, right? Just right there. Given a choice between picking a man or a woman – 
in today's day and age, they're going to hire the woman just for the sake of diversity, quote unquote. Then they're going to put in a minority. So, you know, we got to go. Then they're going to put in a lesbian or a gay person. Then they're going to put in a transsexual person. I mean, you know, unless you're a transsexual, unless you're a woman who's like, a, you know, a minority who became a man. So you're a transsexual who became a man. You became transgender as a man. You went the opposite of Caitlin and became Ken. You were going to have a hard time getting a job. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of this is going to be very well perceived as being very controversial. What's what's uh, kind of your rebuttal for for anyone who would attack what you just said? It's the truth. I'm sorry. You know, I don't I don't begrudge anybody. I'm doing just fine. You know, and they're going to say, well, men have an advantage. I, you know, I'll tell you what. I was doing an interview a couple of months ago and some millennial kid comes on and he goes, so you mean just like I should just keep doing what I love and the money will come? And I said, nothing has ever come to me. <laughs> I've had to fight and scrape and claw my way for every single damn dollar I've ever earned. Nothing comes to me. I started out handing out flyers on a street corner in Midtown Manhattan when I was 10 years old for a dollar an hour. Right, okay. Yeah. Imagine your 10 year old kid standing on a street corner in Manhattan in New York City handing out flyers. That was me. And it's been just like that all the way until today. And I know I've made some great opportunities for myself. I've had, you know, I've had the great privilege to work with presidents and superstars like Dr. Oz and Oprah and all of that. But let's not forget that I chased the Hollywood dream for 13 years and it put me behind the wheel of a taxi. Where were you on New Year's Eve of the millennium? Were you getting Y2K cash out of an ATM? Were you partying with family and friends? I was behind the wheel of yellow cab number 6087. 6087, 6087, go for 6087. We got to pick up at Slauson in La Cienega. Okay, I got it. You know, it's like that. No, that's no, not no, even. No, you weren't always a real taxi driver either, were you? There, I, there I was wasn't. A point, there was a point you got arrested for being an illegal taxi driver. That's right, because when I was at the airport, I would sit there. You know, when you were a taxi driver at the airport in LAX, you sit on the hood of your car and you watch the people come out. And if you're at door number three, if you're stationed to be a taxi driver at door number three. There's a big space between the taxi line for door number for terminal number three and and the taxi cabs. They have to walk all this way. And in between the door and the taxi cabs was a limo with okay. a black guy who was driving that limo. And it was a Lincoln town car. And I would see that guy all the time. And from time to time, people would be walking towards his car. And then all of a sudden they would just get in his car. And I figured out that he was just picking them off on their way to the taxi line. And uh, so I came up with this crazy idea. Instead of paying $85 to rent a taxi, which was going to be, you know, a Chevy Caprice with 185,000 miles on it and no radio and no air conditioning and, and smelled like crud, I would rent a Cadillac Sedan DeVille from Avis, which was just a couple blocks away from my boat in Marina Del Rey. And that was $82 a day. And I okay. did that for like six months. And it was so much better. Instead of making $250 a day, I would make $300 a day because I was driving a much nicer car. And I had better gas mileage. And I had a real stereo. And I had soft leather seats. 
And it was all beautiful. And I did exactly what that guy did, picking people yeah. off on the way to the taxi line. And it was all beautiful until one day I'm driving out of LAX with some people in the back of my car. And all of a sudden I look at my rearview mirror. Whoop, 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 whoop. Next thing I know, I got click, click, the cold steel cutting into my arms. And I'm in jail with a thousand dollars bail. That's just one of the many stories in Wisdom of the Men. Yes. Yeah. Now it went from bad to worse there for a second too, didn't it? <laughs> you mean that night, that very night? Yeah. I, I didn't know who to call. I didn't know who to call. Who am I going to call? Who's got a thousand dollars? I don't know anybody with a thousand dollars except my millionaire ex-brother-in-law. I figured he'd have a thousand dollars. It's one thirty in the morning. I call him up. He, I knew he'd be up, smoking pot and surfing on the internet and watching TV. I knew that he would be doing that in his office in his mansion. In, ha in Hancock Park in Los Angeles, very wealthy area, right on Rossmore. You know that street, Rossmore? You know, it, yeah. big mansion, big walls in front. 1.30 in the morning. Hello? Chris, this is Clint. Clint, it's 1.30 in the morning. Clint, uh, Chris, I'm in jail. I have a $1,000 bail, and I need you to come and bail me out. $1,000? Holy cow, what did you do? I was driving an illegal taxi at LAX. What? 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 What is an illegal taxi? It doesn't matter, Chris. I need a thousand dollars. I don't have that kind of cash. Well, Chris, you gotta get that money. Where am I gonna get that money, Chris? I'm in jail. I need your help. You gotta come and bail me out. Two hours later, he shows up with the thousand dollars. I get bailed out. I go, Chris, where'd you get the money? Because I got it from Sarah. My ex, <laughs> my yeah. ex and my daughter had moved into the mansion in Hancock Park. She had had a big garage sale, sold all of our stuff. When she moved out of the house, I was renting us. She kicked me out of the house. She stayed there like another six weeks and then moved out, had the big garage sale, had all the cash. He borrowed the cash from Sarah to come bail me out. Everybody must have had a great laugh over that. Oh, and then he, immediately he started sweating me. So when are you going to pay me back the cash? I'm like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got my money. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. What fun. What great days those were. So, you know, if you think that I'm being, uh, in any way disingenuous about how difficult it is to be a middle-aged white guy, you're wrong. Okay. Right. <laughs> Controversial. There we have it. Now this kind of, rock bottom area where you're driving a taxi um this happened for like six years or so correct yeah that's right that's right and and you gave up on your writing dream forever a few times there didn't you i gave up on my writing dream the first time after i, I got out of college and i sent my novel to my creative writing teacher no response i quit writing for many years then when i then when i started writing screenplays that brought me back into writing because I thought I could write my way into Hollywood stardom and movie stardom. Uh, yeah. And that's how I pursued that dream of being a movie star and a, and a famous screenwriter for 13 years. It took me seven years of parlaying credit card onto credit card onto credit card before I had no more credit cards. Yes. And then I became a taxi driver shortly after my daughter was born. And then I got kicked out of the house and I, I kept being a taxi driver because that was the only way I could keep pursuing the dream. You know, it, took, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success in Hollywood. That's what I was told. Who told me that? Sarah, my ex. 
How does she know? Well, she had been George Clooney's agent for 10 years. So she watched how it took him 10 years to become George Clooney. And everybody knew he was going to be. No, no. He knew he was going to be George Clooney. And she knew he was going to be George Clooney. But everybody in Hollywood did not know that he was going to be George Clooney. You look at his IMDb resume. He got many, many pilots recurring guest star roles on many, many series. But over the course of 10 years, nothing worked for him until finally he got ER and then he became the biggest star in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, she regrets getting engaged to his best friend, not me, his other best. You know, I, I've, I've only met him one time when I was out on a date with her. Okay. And he was he was working on a movie called From Dusk Till Dawn for Quentin Tarantino. Right, she yeah. she takes me on a date to this bar. He's there. We go over to say hello. He's got all these tattoos all over his body for the makeup for that movie. He's got a supermodel on his arm. She goes, hey, George, how you doing? He goes, oh, Sarah, I am so effing wasted right now. He said the actual word, not effing. And right. she and she's like, well, congratulations on ER. And this is Clint Arthur. And I shake his hand. And he's like, and this is Supermodel. And we shake her hand. And then the maitre d' comes and takes us away to our table. And she explained to me that she had been his agent for 10 years and that she was dating him and the best friend at the same time. And she made the mistake of getting engaged to the best friend. And oh, the rest no. is there you go. Nothing will, will break this <laughs> relationship quicker, huh? <laughs> well, you know, he's still best friends with that guy. That guy built a house for him in Los Angeles. I mean, George Clooney, to George Clooney's credit, I don't know him very well, but I heard a lot of very close stuff because, you know, it was very clicky Hollywood situation. She was engaged to the best friend. He he was still best friends with the best friend. And he had like six other best friends that he would hang out with all the time, including Richard Kind, another Hollywood, you know, pseudo star that I, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, I, I would see Richard Kind at parties. I would see the best friend at parties. I would see this, you know, I, I would see all of them. And there is a picture in the book of George Clooney holding my daughter when he came to a party at my house that I had just been kicked out of. A couple of weeks later, she had a party. It's like, hey, I kicked my my fiance out of the house. I'm having a party, you know, that kind of thing. Right, and there's yeah. George Clooney holding my daughter, and he looks like this. Like, get this baby out of my hands. I don't want I, I could this could have been my baby. Thank God it's not my baby. That that's the photo. And uh, you know, it's cool to have that photo. <laughs> yeah. So so you're like shaking hands with soon to be movie stars and movie stars at that time, uh, trying to break into things and life's kind of punching you. How, uh, how did you get back up and actually get into, into the position you're at now? Well, on New Year's Eve of the millennium in the backseat of my taxi were these two guys who were MBA interns at Goldman Sachs. And I'm listening in on their conversation. Hey, man, did you hear about Mr. Carrera? They made him the last partner right before the Goldman IPO and he cashed out a gazillion dollars. And I'm like, are you guys talking about Chris Carrera? How do you know Mr. Carrera? Chris Carrera was a pledge in my fraternity at the Wharton Business School. And at the end of the night, I go home to my little boat with – and I crawl into the bunk. I pull my wad of cash out of my sock where I used to hide it so I wouldn't get robbed. $513. I was supposed to be somebody special. Where was Chris Carrera dancing at the Rainbow Room? 
And that's the night I said, I'm quitting writing forever. I've, I've written 30 screenplays, 10 books. One of my books got published by Penguin USA as the big book of their summer. And I've been driving a cab for five years after that. So like even having a big book published by a big publisher, you know, what's the point? If, you, if it's going to make me a cab driver, I can't keep throwing my life away on a dream that's never going to happen, you know, while all my friends are becoming millionaires and billionaires with a B. So that's when I quit writing and I did everything I could to try to change who I was and how I was showing up in the world. And, and luckily for me, I believe in education. Because I started going to lots and lots of seminars. I did one seminar called Life Transformation. I did the next seminar I did was called the Men's Weekend. And that was all about eliminating any barriers between you and your total power as a man so you can live with freedom as only a man can. And then the third seminar I did, which really pushed me over the top, was Unleash the Power Within with Tony Robbins. I walked on fire. And after that seminar, Walking on Fire, I was making money. I, you know, by July of that year. So the first, the life transformation was about October. And then by July, I was making very clearly $12,000 a month in mailbox money, just showing up in my mailbox, doing stuff, the entrepreneurial stuff, entrepreneurial stuff. That's how I got into the gourmet food business. That's when I started selling gourmet butter to the raw, um, the raw, community in Los Angeles and to the top chefs in Las Vegas. And then once I started making money, I met a beautiful woman who today is my wife of almost 20 years. Thank God she wow. loved me for me money. Yep. It's a really beautiful yep. thing. And we've been a great team. And, you know, now we live in Acapulco and have two massive mansions here and do our seminars here and people come to learn from me how to have more impact, influence, and income. And they come to her seminar too. She's got 19 people coming to her seminar called Share Your Gifts, where people come and basically you give your own seminar. We make a video of you in front of the audience of the 18 other people. And you get testimonials from each of them who is an actual client who has taken your seminar now. And then um, it's really a lot of fun. You also get to benefit from each of the individual gifts that everyone shares. So, you know, it's, we're having a lot of fun. Definitely. Now, <laughs> you teach a lot on public speaking and just having fun with it. Uh, what's uh, some of the recommendations there wrapped in, in with this? Um, a lot of people kind of feel uptight with, with the speaking side of it. And Yeah, I don't blame them. Uh, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta know. How, I think I got that mosquito. You got to know how to tell your stories. If you haven't noticed, I've been telling stories this whole entire time. Yes. And you got to have and stories. That's what I loved about the book actually as well is Thank that you. it does feel like a, a, a fiction novel that you, you're following this character through through this amazing story of just it's my whole life. These, strange events that happen. And there are a lot of strange events, right? It's like, you never heard stuff like this before because I'm like, I, you could not predict the course of my life. It's just not, it was not open to prediction. I've done so many different and un, unusual things like inventing my own path through the world and my own way to make money and to create status in the eyes of customers and prospects so that I could help myself and my clients to 
be more of a celebrity in the eyes of the people we're trying to serve. Because ultimately, if you are not a celebrity, if your clients and prospects don't look at you with excitement, like, oh my God, I'm going to be with that person tomorrow. And if, if the right. offer that you're delivering is just boring, it's not going to inspire lots of high dollar clients to come seek you out as an expert. So, you know, I've, I've analyzed people like Tony Robbins. You think Tony Robbins is famous? You think everybody knows who Tony Robbins is? One of yes. the biggest names out there. One of the biggest names, right? So let's, let's go to the videotape. <laughs> let's go to the videotape. Here we go. Tony Robbins. I love him. Look, don't get me wrong. Nobody loves Tony Robbins more than me. You read the chapter on Tony Robbins. There's several chapters on how Tony Robbins has impacted me and other people, other students of mine in, in the book because he's one of the most influential people in the seminar industry. And a lot of the people I know like to take seminars and including me. So here's a nice video about Tony Robbins. Anybody here know who Tony Robbins is? Do you? No? Do you know who he is? Do you know who Tony Robbins is? No? How about you? You know who he is? Nobody. So nobody at the Starbucks knew him. Nobody knows. And if you think there's just the wrong demographic, it is the wrong demographic, but I'll show you another demographic. Here's a, those, those were Starbucks baristas. Let's go to the construction worker demographic. This one has got an F-bomb in it, so if that offends you, you better close your ears. Here's an F-bomb. Hey, what do you think of Tony Robbins? You know who he is? No. Who the that guy? <laughs> no, really. Do you know who he is? You don't know who he is? Two construction workers from Utah. Never heard of them. Okay? Right. Now, why is that? Because Tony Robbins only appeals to a certain demographic. Exactly. That would be aspirational people who are entrepreneurs primarily, not workers, entrepreneurs. And these guys, these people, I can show you countless videos like that of people who don't know who Tony Robbins is. This is a phenomenon that I call celebrity entrepreneurship. I think Tony Robbins is a celebrity. When I got a message from Tony Robbins' team, it said, if you donate $25,000 to Tony Robbins' favorite charity, you could be the host of Tony's 60th birthday party in Los Angeles in front of 5,000 people. So it took me about 60 seconds to complete that donation. Here, here we are at Tony Robbins' 60th birthday party. And I said, Tony, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, life is happening for us. Right. <laughs> I really do. I, I believe it. You know, it's one of the many great lessons in Wisdom of the Men. But, you know, Tony is a celebrity entrepreneur. To his clients and prospects, he's a god. It's, uh, believe me, you don't donate $25,000 to someone's charity in 60 seconds without even thinking about it, unless you think that there's somebody special. Yeah, absolutely, and, yes. Right? And I'm so grateful that I was able to do that. You know, I'm so grateful I reached a point in my life where that wasn't the first $25,000 donation I had made. When I, I, I got an email about the Rolling Stones, but this illustrates how the more you do, the more you can be and the more you can have. Because when I got the email from the Rolling Stones about if you donate $25,000 to the Rolling Stones' favorite charity, you can – Go to the VIP party. You could be an elite VIP at the concert. You can meet the band and get a photo with the band. I showed that email to my wife and I said, honey, what do you think about this? She goes, wow, meeting the Rolling Stones, that would be so cool. But $25,000, that's like crazy. And I said, yeah, that's it's a lot of money. It's too much. Next day, I get another email 
from the same charity. Hey, if you donate 25,000, you get to go. And just on a whim, I open up my iPhone and I click the button. And next thing I know, I'm just one more click and I'm going to meet Ringo, going to meet uh, Mick Jagger. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I clicked it and I go, hey, Allie, guess what? We're going to meet the Rolling Stones. And she goes, you did not pay $25,000. <laughs> yes, I did. You know, what's the money for? It's for a good cause. We have the money. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, but you're crazy. Don't do that again. Well, we went and oh, met the well, Rolling you did it again. <laughs> we had a great time and it was really, really fun. <laughs> and I said, Sir Mick, what's the most important thing you ever learned? You can't always get what you want, but if you try, you just might find you get what you need. And that's true. That's just a, a, long, a song lyric. I get it. But he wrote that song, which is one of the greatest songs of all time. And Absolutely. it makes a lot of sense. You know, you can't always get what you want. I'm sure a lot of your viewers didn't show up on this podcast wanting to hear that you need to be a celebrity in the eyes of your customers and prospects if you want to get the big money and have more impact, influence, and income. You, you probably didn't want to hear that because a lot of people think of celebrity and they don't understand that celebrity is not about ego. Celebrity is about marketing. That's all it's about. It's about marketing because I'm the same person I was all the way at the beginning. It's just I'm a better speaker. I'm more quote unquote charismatic. I know how to you know, dress in ways that attract more attention. I know how to say the right words so that people pay attention. When I talk, I know how to uh, approach major celebrities and get them to be in photos with me. I know how to get on TV. I know to have, I've spoken at all those places because I figured out how to speak at all those places that you mentioned in the beginning. These are all the things that you know, these are all marketing things. Absolutely. Now, a lot of people are going to be right there biting at the bit to ask for a tip. And I, I really disdain that, that, that word, a, a tip. Um, well, I love tips. If, if, if I have the privilege of sitting down like with yourself, somebody who has honed these skills, mm -hmm. I want to know more kind of the system so then I can build on it. What would be kind of a rundown system approach you use that probably gets expanded in your seminars and, and courses? Well, let's just talk about tips, okay? Because there's a podcast I want to do. It's a, it's a niche market. It's a podcast just for moils. It's called Just the Tips, okay? So right. you know what a moil is? I do not know. Moil is the Jewish rabbi who only specializes in circumcisions, okay? Uh -huh. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So that, but that's a great podcast. Anyway, look, I, you know, I identified three of the five elements of celebrity entrepreneurship for you right there. Okay. Speaking at very important places, getting photos and telling stories with celebrities and going on TV. Tony Robbins does that all the time. All the time. I do that. I do that. So you need to do those things. So here's, here's the best tip I can give you when you're starting out getting celebrities. The best celebrities you should, you can and should get would be local politicians and business leaders. So CEOs of a local corporation. If you work near Nike, for example, get a picture mm -hmm. with the CEO of Nike or get a picture, especially if you're in real estate, get a picture of the, uh, the mayor of your town, get a picture of you, you and your congressman, you with the person, right? 
and then ask them a question about, you know, how do you feel about the real estate market this week, you know, or this month or right now, sir? Or if you're in medicine, you know, how do you feel about, um, you know, healthcare situation and engage with them on your topic. And then this way, you not only have the photo, but you also have something to talk about. Like I've been telling stories about each of these celebrities in this interview right now. Yes. So that's the tip. Okay. <laughs> and then the system around it is just to expand this and, uh, and really well, niche, niche into it. Look, the thing, the thing you got to understand about meeting celebrities is that the bigger these celebrities are, the more intimidating it's going to be. You Absolutely. think you're going to be cool when you meet Snoop Dogg. But, you know, when I met Snoop Dogg, it was, it was very, it's always going to be fast and it's always going to be intense. And I said, Snoop, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, life's too short to smoke cheap weed. <laughs> And I quit smoking weed accidentally in December 14, 2009. But accidentally, accidentally, I was at a I was at a uh, raw vegan weight loss retreat. The rules were no drugs, no alcohol. So I stopped smoking pot. I stopped drinking. But when it was over, I went back to drinking alcohol. But I had quit smoking pot, and I stayed quit from pot. And that was a great thing because you know, call it a coincidence or not, it was six weeks later that I did my first TV appearance. And I'd been trying to get on TV over the years, but I could right. never get on TV until I stopped smoking pot, which eliminated a lot of fear and procrastination and insecurities and doubts in my mind and allowed me to see my book and to decide I got to promote this book. That was my book, What They Teach You at the Wharton Business School. And I said, if that book's not good enough, What's ever going to be good enough? It's a book about what I learned at Wharton Business School. It's got to be good enough. I need to make this happen. So I started spending money on a publicist. And then after my first four appearances, I spent $6,000 on those first four TV appearances. I show them to my wife. Honey, what do you think about these first four TV appearances? She said, I think you suck. And then I'm like, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess you're right. I'm going to hire this lady for 10 more appearances so I can get good enough to one day get on the Today Show. And she goes, whoa, 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 why do you keep paying this lady? Why don't you just book yourself on these shows? That's when I started booking myself on TV. And uh, after 18 appearances, a lot of people were saying, you know, you go to seminars. What happens is you go on TV and you post your TV appearance on Facebook. Yes. And then you go to the seminars and everyone's like, wow, you're really making it happen. And how do you do this? How, how are you booking yourself on these shows? So I started teaching some of my friends how to book themselves on shows. And that evolved into my most successful seminar, uh, which won me the Info Marketer of the Year Award. It was, it's called Celebrity Launchpad. The 10-year anniversary of that seminar is going to be in April. In October, I'm doing Celebrity Launchpad number 53. In January is number 54. And then wow. in April will be number 55. And mm -hmm. you know, over the course of 10 years, that's what I've done. And it's been really amazing. It's resulted in my students booking themselves on more than 5,985 TV appearances that I'm aware of so far on every show in America. And, you know, I 
my when I hired that publicist, she thought it was hysterically funny that I thought I could get on the Today Show. She said, "Clint, you're a middle-aged guy. Nobody's ever heard of. You got a self-published book. Nobody's ever bought. You got no TV experience. You're not famous. You're not a politician. You're not George Clooney. They're never going to put you on the Today Show." And I'm like, uh, "Well, you know, what am I going to do?" She goes, "You got to go on little tiny shows in little cities." And I said, "Like Salt Lake City?" She's like make sure you're wearing your long underwear because she sent me to Salt Lake City January 21st, 2010. Oh, yeah. I did my first appearance in Salt Lake City and it was freezing cold. And, you know, my 57th appearance was on the Today Show and Brooke Shields nice. interviewed me and she asked me the question, you know, you talk a lot about being comfortable outside of your comfort zone. I said, yeah, life right. begins where your comfort zone ends. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, that sounds scary. I said, it, when it's scary is when it's great. And it's I really had no idea how true that was. You know, here we were in Acapulco. We, we came down here for the pandemic mm-hmm. two weeks to slow the spread, right? I said to my wife, hey, you want to go back to our apartment on the 13th floor in Midtown Manhattan for the two weeks to slow the spread? Or do you want to maybe go to our favorite resort in Acapulco and check ourselves in? into a suite and order room service. That's what we did. And tough decision there, right? (laughs) Right, right. I I, I try to be smart, you know, and comes to be like 10 days in and it doesn't look like two weeks is going to end the spread. So I started looking around and luckily I got us a villa before the Mexican government ordered all hotels to close. Like we moved into... Right. All hotels must close and all foreigners must go out of the country if you're not somewhere already. So but the night before we were going to move into this villa. I was scared. We'd only stayed. We'd been on seven vacations to this resort in Acapulco and we had never stayed in anything other than the hotel. Hmm. And here we are. We're moving into a villa. There wasn't even a front door. You go up the steps and you're in our outdoor living room and our outdoor dining room. And, you know, the lock on the door to the bedroom is just one of those little knobs on the brass handle. That's all it is. Right. There's no security. And I'm thinking, Jesus, is, is, am I going to get us killed? Because, you know, Acapulco was dangerous. That, that's oh, why we, yeah, yeah. we had stopped going for a number of years. And, but after, when the pandemic hit, I figured it would be okay. But in any case, if I could have got a refund on that first villa, I would have got a refund, but I couldn't. So I had to go. I I looked up, can you buy a gun? I was going to buy a gun for protection. Lucky thing I didn't buy a gun because you need a special license from the army to have a gun to protect your home in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they throw you in prison. A lot of American hunters learn that lesson the hard way. (laughs) But when we walked into that outdoor living room, And we had our big yard so our billion peso puppy could run around free. And we had our big pool and we had our chef and our maid and our beautiful living room and dining room. And it was costing us less than the hotel. That's when I looked at her and I'm like, what the hell have we been doing in this hotel all this time? Why haven't we done this sooner? And at the end of four and a half months living in villas in Acapulco, we bought our first mansion villa ours is enormous and okay i mean now, you're still, doing some of your retreats out of this correct we do we do you know we have our 19 person events happening she's got one next week i've got one the next week after that then i have celebrity launchpad 53 there's 14 people res- uh, registered for that all of it so goes these are definitely small small type of 
learning experiences then it's it's not this huge event where uh where you'd be overshadowed by the people next to you this is i'm not tony robbins one-on-one time with you i'm not tony robbins okay and the good news is is that you don't have to be tony robbins to add many many zeros to your bank account if you do celebrity entrepreneurship Yes. And you do the things that I teach in my book, Celebrity Entrepreneurship and in Wisdom of the Men. If you do these things, you can create tremendous excitement and celebrity positioning in the eyes of clients and prospects. And it allows me to have events where, you know, I got 19 people coming to Impact Influence and Income. This event is $5,000 per ticket. um, January, today's the last day of early registration. So I don't know if people will see this in time, but there's like regular registration is going to be $6,000 for the January event. But after that, it's going up to $10,000. And Celebrity Launchpad has been $10,000 since like Celebrity Launchpad 5. The price went up to $10,000. But, you know, it's worth it. These things are a lot of direct attention from me. Think about Tony Robbins. You would never get to go to an event with 18 people and Tony Robbins for only $10,000. To do that, it would probably cost you, you know, you'd have to be like a $100,000 member of his yeah, to get to add on a another small zero. group. Yeah, right? You know, yeah. easy. But, you know, look, I'm not Tony Robbins and I'm I'm not trying to do gigantic events like that. Uh, when I did my event at Carnegie Hall with Martha Stewart, and Ice-T and Coco, his wife, and Jerry from Ben & Jerry's, and Michael Gerber, the author of The E-Myth, yes. and my student, Hal Elrod, who wrote The Miracle Morning. He self-published and sold more than 2 million copies of that book with an $8 per book royalty. And um, at, you know there was about 285 people that were registered for that event at Carnegie Hall. I sold every one of those tickets myself to each person. Martha Stewart, we're doing the VIP photos. She's like, wow, Clint, you know the name of every single one of these people. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Because I sold them each the ticket because no one is going to help you. That's another big lesson from the book, Wisdom of the Men, is that no matter who says they're going to help you, no one is ever going to help you. They're not. It's not going to happen, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now... What would be kind of the final takeaway or kind of your next big goal that you'd like to share with everyone? Well, look, the final takeaway, which is one of the most important ones, I'll tell you two. So here's from here's from um, Ice-T and Coco. I said, Ice, what's the most important thing you ever learned? He said, don't trust anybody. You will be surprised <laughs> at the motherfuckers who will stab you in the back. And you know what? That's kind of sad, but true. These are some views of the villa. You know, it's it's hard to even appreciate. This room right here, this is a 3,000 square foot living, dining, recreation area in the villa. It's hard to really appreciate it, how awesome it is until you get there because the pictures don't even do it justice. But when you... Um, the case. <laughs> Oprah, what's the most important thing you ever learned? She said, you! are responsible for your own success. And, you know, I will teach you what to do. I will even help you to do it. For example, in the January class, I'm going to have a former Miss Mexico from the Miss Universe contest. She's coming to the villa. And if you are coming to the January class of Impact, Influence, and Income, in addition to the training and the experience, 
you're also going to get a photo of you and Miss Mexico living the dream in Acapulco <laughs> at my villa, which is a very valuable celebrity attachment photo. You'll be able to talk to her. I'll ask her some questions. She'll, um, you know, you'll have a story that you can share, you know, like, here's me and Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, this is the way these things work. And, you know, these magazines, that is, this magazine is just full of these celebrity attachment photos of me and famous people. I make mucho dinero from this and so do my clients. So if you don't yet have, Miss Mexico is a perfect, perfect, like beginner celebrity for people because you're not going to be that intimidated from her. Although I will say that most of the celebrities that I've been meeting have not been like super gorgeous. It's been a while since I've met a super gorgeous celebrity. So I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about whether it'll be intimidating or not. But I do remember when I was beginning, you know, when you meet some of these super gorgeous women, it can be intimidating. And in fact, I remember advising one of my TV clients, Dave Striegel. He's an auto mechanic from Pittsburgh. He had this plan in his mind. He wanted to be a speaker and have a breakout session at the Napa Auto Parts Convention in Las Vegas. It only happens once every decade. And there's 13,000 auto mechanics who go there. And he figured that would be good for his auto mechanic coaching business. Well, he came to Celebrity Launchpad and got booked onto Fox Los Angeles. And the female hosts of the morning show on Fox Los Angeles tend to be super gorgeous. And I told him, I said, look, when you're on the set with these girls, you need to be prepared in your mind that these are going to be like the most gorgeous, sexiest women you've ever met because it can really screw with you otherwise if you're not prepared for that. So we'll see how this goes with the beauty queen. I mean, <laughs> Sounds like an adventure there. Uh, one more time, uh, your website would be? Clint.com. Clint with three T's.com. Why three T's, Clint? Why not just one T like your name? Well, one of my clients was a nameologist. She invented the science of nameology, which is what does your name mean? And she called me up one day and said, Clint, I wish you would add another T to the end of your name because the T's always end up on top like Trump. And I said, well, uh, politics aside, I can't right. get Clint with two T's.com, but I could get clint with three t's.com which i did so that's why you can go to clint with three t's.com and it seems to be working out it's nice and easy to remember to right right clint with three t's.com that's Definitely. pretty easy <laughs> perfect well i appreciate your time clint with three t's and <laughs> stay tuned for the next hardy brain podcast the show that takes athletic introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into iron clad brain performers take care